All right, good morning, everybody. So we are going to be focusing and looking at what is God like today. And uh, it's actually looking at what God says about himself or reveals about himself through the scriptures. So as Kyle said, it will be a lot of scriptures this morning. I think we're going to be bouncing all over the Bible, staying a lot in Psalms, Genesis. Actually, there's quite a bit in the law. I didn't realize how much he revealed about himself in his own law. Um, and then also in the New Testament where we get to Jesus and, and what he says about God, his Father. So we'll, it, it's a very scripture-heavy week, and I don't apologize for it, but I know that it can be kind of dull to just read scripture after scripture after scripture. But uh, spent a lot of time preparing it and getting us ready for this. So we'll just go through it. There are going to be about 20 attributes that we're looking at about what is God like and what he tells, him, uh, tells us about himself. And the first thing he tells, him about him, tells us about himself is that God exists. Uh, this is actually uh, the very first verse of the Bible is, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So God states his existence in the very first verse of Scripture. It is not a question. It is not uh, anything but a statement that he exists. Uh, he actually, uh, throughout Scripture, also shows himself in other ways. He shows his attributes through nature that he created. And so he says in Rome, or Paul says in Romans, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So he has shown himself to everybody, regardless of whether they have been formally taught who God is. Everybody should know that there is a God and that he does exist through what he has created. And for the people who choose to not believe, uh, they are called wicked. In the pride of his face, the wicked do, do not seek him, and all his thoughts are there is no God. So people have to fool themselves to believe that there is no God. His first statement is just that he simply exists. Are these going? Okay, good. So the second thing that God tells us about himself is that he is knowable. Uh, we have a God that is choosing to be in relationship with us, choosing to let us know about his attributes himself. Uh, Jeremiah, he says, uh, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. So he allows us to know him the God who created everything. This is not something that every religion has. Uh, I also was uh, fortunate enough to teach on Islamic theism, and there we learned that saying that you could know God is heresy because he is so far above you that you can't know him. And some of that is true because we're still unable to fully know who God is because he is infinite and we are finite. So we are not able to know everything about him, but he, he reveals himself some to us. He says that uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. So we're unable to fully know God, but we are able to know th some things about God. Um, and then just another one about him being beyond our measure to understand who God fully is. Uh, this one I, I thought was a really great one because it is a unique thing to Christianity. We have where we're able to know who our God is and have himself revealed to us. The third attribute is, man, I'm running through these. So if you guys have any questions or thoughts on these, please let me know because I'll get through these slides pretty quickly. God is independent. 
So before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God did this all by himself. He did not require anybody else. He did not require us. He is fully independent at all times. But he chooses to give us value and significance. Even though he didn't have to, he's fully independent. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you uh, by his love, and he will exalt you with loud singing. So even though he doesn't need us, he still allows us to bring joy to his heart. We are able to know God and make God happy, even though he doesn't need any of that from us. Uh, this next one is uh, a big one because there seems to be some things that might contradict that God is unchangeable. But God is unchangeable in his being, his attributes, his purposes, and his promises. For I am the Lord, uh, for I the Lord do not change, is said in Malachi 3.6. So as he's closing up the Old Testament, he states that he doesn't change at all. He, his being will always be there and doesn't change. Um, our, and our beings and attributes change in direct contrast to God, who stays the same. We grow older. God is infinite. He doesn't grow older. Uh, we change our mind all the time and change things about ourselves, whereas God doesn't have those attributes that change. He will always be wise. He will always be infinite. He will always be omniscient, whereas we learn things and grow. Um, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of his heart to all generations. So his purpose is always going to be the same as well. His purpose is spread throughout all of the generations. He created, and now that creation will continue based upon the purpose that he gave it. And his promises never change either, because God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and he uh, ha he has said, and will he not do it? Or he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So God's promises never change either. But there are places that seem to contradict this, especially related to his promises and his purposes. For example, God did not punish Nineveh as he promised he would punish Nineveh. Jonah goes to Nineveh. And he preaches about how God is going to destroy them because of their wickedness. And instead, the entire people of Nineveh repent, and even the king tears his clothes and puts on sackcloth and ashes on his head. And instead, God spares the people. And Jonah reacts by being mad because God didn't do what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to punish them. Uh, but these should be seen as God's present attitude or intention related to the specific situation. So God allows the people of Nineveh to repent. He didn't change his purpose for the people. Instead, he allowed them to repent. And it wouldn't be, God wouldn't be good or just if he didn't respond differently to sin and repentance than he did, uh, or didn't respond differently to sin than he did to repentance or righteousness. If he responded the same to either with indifference, he wouldn't be a good and just God. Instead, he's able to not change his purpose or his promise, but he's able to allow us to fulfill that purpose and promise. Uh, so God is also eternal. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we're told by Paul in Ephesians. So he is eternal. Before the world was formed, it goes back to Genesis, God was there. He created everything. In Revelations, we're told that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is and who was and who is to come. Um, and this is one I have trouble understanding. I, in my finite mind, cannot understand something that never ends and something that never began. Uh, it goes back to his first attribute of his existence. He just is, but where did he come from? He just is. And my brain can't understand that eternity. And I think that uh, a lot of writers have tried to, especially in the Bible, portray that infiniteness, and it's still, I just can't grasp it. Um, and because of that eternalness, we are to give him glory and majesty because he has dominion and authority over everything, over time. Time is not the same to God as it is to us. Um, we're told that time is, a day is like 10,000 years or 10,000 years like a day. So to God, time is not the same for us. He can live in an infinite space in one moment as much as he could live for uh, infinite moments, and I don't really know how to explain what I'm saying here. The book put it better, but I can't remember it. So he lives in one moment the same as he lives in all moments. So he can see and live in this one specific place and time, say this class right here, and it feel like 10,000 days to him, or he can live in those, at the same time, those 10,000 days also feel like just a moment. It's Time and space aren't the same for God as they are for us. Because God created and rules over time, and he uses time for his own purpose. Uh, well, maybe you can do a better job explaining that one, because I still can't wrap my head around that. Uh, God is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere at all times. I am God at... Uh, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Uh, do I not fill heaven and earth? So God is everywhere all at once. He's all around us. He's filling heaven, filling earth. In fact, uh, in another scripture that it gave, he is overflowing those places as well. Even heaven cannot contain all of what God is. Um, in Psalm, it's put, uh, this is actually my favorite Psalm ever. It's uh, David writing it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your hand shall, right hand shall hold me. So you can't outrun God either because he's everywhere at all times. He knows where you are. Nothing is hidden from God. God is spirit, and I know that next week we're going to be dealing with the Trinity, so I, I kind of went lightly on God is spirit. Um, but God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So God's spirit is not just dwelling, it's dwelling everywhere, because God is everywhere, but it's also that means dwelling in us as well. And so when we worship, we're worshiping in that spirit that God has given us. God is not made of any matter, and he is unable to be perceived by any of our bodily senses. But God has chosen to make us 
somewhat like him in a spiritual nature. He has given us a piece of that spirit. We are created in the image of God. And so we have a piece of that spirit dwelling inside us because he's everywhere. And so when we worship, we are worshiping with that spirit that he has given us. And that spirit bears witness with our spirit and shows that we are children of God. We are adopted children of God. And uh, when God has chosen to dwell in us, we become in one spirit with him. So we are able to be a part of God in worship in a way that we would not be without worship. So going with God as spirit, God is also invisible. We cannot perceive God with our physical senses because no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, and he has made himself known. Now, people have seen outward manifestations of God. Uh, Isaiah says he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up when he was given his vision. Um, the Lord appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18.1. And Jacob said he saw God face to face. This also goes along with um, Moses being hidden in the rock as God passed by so he could see. And so we've seen manifest, or people have seen manifestations of God, but nobody has seen God in his full glory. Uh, and it, Jesus is actually the best example of this because he came down and was fully man. So he's a manifestation of God, fully man and fully God at the same time. But even Jesus' body could not hold all of God's majesty, uh, in his, all of the attributes at the same time, such as he's invisible and he's eternal because Jesus' body was man and it would die and things like that. But Jesus does says that whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so the people who were around Jesus were able to see God through that. All right, so God is omniscient, meaning that God knows all things. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. God can see us. God can search us. God knows all things that are going on in our hearts. There is nothing that can be hidden from God. And God is at all times fully aware of everything. His knowledge never changes or grows. Nothing surprises him or is hidden from him. And this, as a human, is also hard to comprehend, that his knowledge never grows. Nothing is ever surprised or hidden from him. So he's eternal. He knows everything that's going to happen. And he still created us anyways. And he's independent, so he doesn't need us either. So all of these attributes point to a God who could just exist and be perfectly happy as he was. But instead, knowing that it would cause him to hurt, he created us anyways, so that we could glorify him. Um, and not only did he create us, we're going to get to this one later, but he also said that his creation was good. So we are good, created in God's image, given a spirit that he dwells around us in, and he knows everything that is going to happen. All right. There we go. So God is wise. Uh, there's a lot of scripture about the, the wisdom of God, specifically in Proverbs and Psalms, where we talk about, uh, well, all of the books of poetry basically are wisdom literature. Um, 
the only wise God, uh, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So God has told us in his scripture how wise he is. The psalmist says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And God also has decided to give that wisdom freely to his children. So he gives that wisdom to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So this wisdom of God, this infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom can be given to us generously if we only ask and are ready to accept it. But we will never fully share God's wisdom because of our mortal bodies and our finite time. Uh, and Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. So we'll never be able to fully explore the wisdom of God in our forms that we have now. And I know I'm running through these. Are there any questions so far? We still have about 20 slides to go. <laughs> It is. It took a lot of time reading and preparing for this one. Um, God is truthful. We all probably know this one. You know, God doesn't tell lies. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living and everlasting King, says Jeremiah. So not only is he truthful in what he says and does, but he is also the only true God. He is the only God that there is that is worth worshiping. And I think that one of the things that we can gain from God's truthfulness is our imitation of that truthfulness and how we try and imitate God's truthfulness by striving to have the true knowledge of him and his word. And so by doing that, uh, Paul says in Colossians, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're to put away all falsehood because we serve a true God and we're supposed to try and imitate the, the truth that he has given us. Um, God is good. This one was a tough one to look at as well because we believe that God can only do good things and God only does good things, but God has a purpose and knows everything as well. So why are there evil things that happen? Well, Jesus himself says, when he was called good, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I think that is part of why evil things in this world happen, because nobody is good except for God alone. We cannot be good in the way God is good. And God is that final standard of good. So anything that God does, therefore, is good. And every good gift and every perfect gift is from God. So God is only doing good things. Nothing that God does is bad. He's the standard of good. So nothing he did could be bad. And God's goodness is often seen through his mercy and his grace. That grace that he gave to us, even though we are not good. And we cannot live up to his standard of good. God is love. Um, this goes along with his being good. He's decided to love us even though we are not good. And anyone who does not know love or does not love does not know God because God is love. And through this love, we're able to 
show the other people around us this love. Um, the love that he gave to us was a love that he gave while we were still sinners, before we'd been cleansed, before we'd been able to come before God, he decided to love us anyways. Um, and since we have this love, we're able to freely give this love to others. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God. This is the, the greatest commandment, as Jesus says in Matthew. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So the entire law can be summed up in love God and then show that love that God has given you to everybody that you come in contact with. So God is holy. To be holy is to be set apart. It's something that uh, cannot be around sin. It has to be apart from everything else other than the holiness of God. So God is exalted. He, uh, we exalt the Lord our God and worship at the holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. He is set apart. He is away from all things that are not good. And then he gives us a challenge as well. But he who has called you is holy. You are also to be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So a lot of these attributes of God were also told as Christians and followers of him to follow these attributes as well. So we're given these godly expectations, these things that are attributes of God, and we're told to try and imitate them. We're told to be truthful. We're told to be holy and set apart. We're told to show love to all that we come in contact with. It's a, it's a high standard that we're called to. And God's, pattern, uh, God's holiness is a pattern for us to uh, imitate. And all will one day be made holy, separated from evil. Well, if God is set apart from all sin, he also has to be righteous and just because he can't be with that sin. The rock, his work, is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Um, so God is the, the righteous and the just one. He is the judge of the earth, and he judges the earth in his goodness. So since he is righteous and just, therefore he must punish sin. He can't be around sin, and sin must be punished from him. It is not good. But God is also able to forgive due to Christ's sacrifice to us. Um, and we're also told in Proverbs that to, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So to be righteous and just, and uh, the book got into fighting for justice when we see injustice that's more pleasing to God than sacrifice. So righteousness and just is something that we need to make sure that we as a people are also upholding as well. And that doesn't mean lowering standards either. It means God's level of righteousness and justice. God is a jealous God. He says in Exodus as he's giving the, the Ten Commandments that you shall not bow down to them or to serve them for I am the Lord your God am a jealous God. This is as he's talking about idols being worshipped. Uh, but he has his jealousy to protect his honor because he desires worship to be given to him and nothing else. And he deserves that worship as our God who exists and created everything. And so he's a jealous God who does not allow 
worship of anything else. Otherwise, it's sin. So God has to be then wrathful towards sin. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. God cannot be in existence with sin. He, he just can't be a part of it because he's holy, he's set apart, and therefore the wrath of God will be poured out on the sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it's through sin that people try and, again, say that there isn't God or suppress the truth that God has shown to them. But there's nothing to fear for those who trust Christ and that God's wrath was satisfied for them on the cross, as Romans says. So Christ satisfied God's wrath for us who follow him, and we have nothing to fear. We are fully in God's love. We have nothing to fear of his wrath. Um, God's, God wills what he will. And this was an interesting uh, topic, I thought, because well, of course God's going to will what he wills. But this one goes so far as that God wills what he will and nothing will get in his way to stop his will. If God has willed it, it's guaranteed. It's going to happen because God cannot change that attribute of himself. He follows what he says he's going to do. For you have created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So all events are, of our life are subject to God's will. Everything that we have done is subject to God's will. Uh, in fact, James says that uh, as people are saying, well, tomorrow we'll do this and tomorrow we'll do that, James goes so far as to say, instead you should say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and we will do that. Because putting God, just remembering that it's God's will that we live for anyways. If God wills us to not take another breath, well, guess what? We're not going to take another breath. Um, and so just remembering that it's God who's in control. Uh, and that we should be careful on declaring the Lord's will unless it is clear from Scripture. So just to say, well, oh, well, it's God's will that we did that. But if it's not, uh, the crusade is a great example of this. You know, it's God's will that we go clear the Holy Lands and take back Jerusalem. Well, I don't think Scripture told you to go and kill a whole bunch of people and try and take back the Holy Lands, and it just caused more war. So just to declare God's will without it being scriptural is a very dangerous thing to walk on. Also, God is not to be blamed or thought responsible for sinful or evil things. So the sinful things in the world that happen, the bad things in the world that happen, God can't be blamed for those things because God is good. And God only has good things that happen. Everything that God does is the standard of good. So he can't be blamed or held responsible for those things. So to say th those things are God's will would be naive. So God has freedom. Psalm says it really well. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And nothing can hinder God from doing his will. He is not under any authority or restraint outside of himself. So God has to follow these attributes that he has of himself. God can't be untruthful. God can't be unjust. He has put himself to follow these attributes. But inside those attributes, God can do whatever he wishes. And we can imitate God's freedom by exercising our will and choices but at the same time remembering that it's ultimately God's will that we follow. And as James reminded us to, to make sure that we credit the Lord and his will in our lives. So the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And this is just to reiterate that God is the one who's working in our lives and allowing us to do everything that we do.
And I really liked this one as well because uh, especially in our turmoil of politics in the world, not just in America, but everywhere, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he can turn it wherever he will. So God is able to control all things if that's what he wants. He has the freedom to do anything. No president or leader can do anything unless God has allowed it. God is omnipotent, and so God is all-powerful. There is nothing that the Lord cannot do. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So God's power is infinite. He can neither will or do anything that denies his own character. He can't say that that's too hard for him. Nothing that God does or says he can do is too hard for him. So if God says that he is going to erase our sin and allow us to go to heaven, well, God can do it. It's not too hard for him. But an example, examples of this is that God cannot lie. He's put that restriction on himself by his being truthfulness, and we're told that in Titus. He cannot be tempted by evil, and he cannot deny himself and who he is. God's use of his infinite power is qualified by his other attributes. So his other attributes allow him to use this power for good and what he sees fit. God is perfect, and not only is God perfect, but we are also called to be perfect. Jesus says in Matthew, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So again, we're trying to live up to these godly attributes that we have, and we are to imitate his perfection by striving to be perfect as Jesus commanded us. All right, we're almost there. Three more slides. So God is also blessed. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God created, and he saw that his creation was good, and so he said that it was good, and therefore he's blessed by the goodness of the things that he created. And not only that, but uh, he, he talks about us being a blessing for him. For as a young man marries a young woman, so, you shall, so, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So we are a blessing to God. It doesn't always feel that way, right? But I mean, we all have kids in here too. Kids are a blessing from God, but sometimes they don't feel that way. Um, but we're supposed to also find delight and happiness in what is pleasing to God. And we can demonstrate the way God has blessed us by honoring him and imitating the way he is blessed. So by feeling that God has blessed us, we're supposed to imitate that and turn around and show that good to others as well. God is beautiful. Um, David writes that, One thing I have asked the Lord is that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. God is the most beautiful thing that ever is, was, or will be. Uh, he has created us in uh, his image, so he has given us a part of that beauty as well. Everything he has created is good and therefore is beautiful. The, the natural earth that he created is beautiful, but God is a step above that. He is the standard bearer of beauty. And the last one, God is unity. God is unified by all of these attributes. He can't be one attribute more than another. They are all equally important and all present at the same time as well. Scripture never singles out one of God's attributes as more important than the rest, 
and each of God's attributes represent one aspect of his character, and they each provide us with a perspective on who he is. So, of those attributes, uh, do any stand out to you? There are a lot. Or did I miss any? Are there any other attributes you can think of? Because I'm sure there are. Testament God you think of, like the God that you don't want to tell people about, you know, um, you know, whole groups of people being wiped out, things like that. That's always tough. I mean, it's in view of other attributes that, <coughs> it's also this, like, this challenge for me to think that God is forced to act according to his will, and I, and I, I guess the way in which that's difficult is, so he was forced to act in that way because couple reasons like you know why would you wipe out certain tribes well part of that is because he had to stay faithful to his promise to people you know the Israelites to get them to where he was trying to get them I think that's probably the biggest reason Uh, the people he's wiping out were evil but then that's always tough it's like well weren't the Israelites evil you know Um, and so like those are like difficult things about God so you know when you hear like God is love God is good it's like yeah that's great like I like that but it's the other side of it there where it's, it's more of a struggle I guess I personally even struggle with the, not that God is good, but that everything that God allows to happen is good. Well, not necessarily allows to happen, but everything that God specifically does is good. But there's still hurt, and he tells the Israelites, you're right, to do some things that we would not consider to be good. But if God is saying that that is what they're to do, then it it was good. It was the right decision. It was his wrath and jealousy that was causing that to happen. And so... It's a difficult line to walk and understand, but I don't think we're able to fully understand all of what God is. Um, And actually, I didn't know if we were going to have enough time, but we have plenty. There's a great Bible project video that shows the attributes of God, and I can pull that up real quick since we have time. Um, Yeah, or we can keep discussing. Or we can keep discussing. Michael's raised Yes. Well, I was just, you mentioned um, that you had trouble understanding God's eternality, that God is eternal. I wonder if this would be helpful. It's not necessarily understanding the concept itself, but rather considering the alternative. If God is not eternal, that means God has a beginning and end, right? And that means also that his that if God isn't inter- eternal, that means he has to have a beginning. And if he has to have a beginning, there has to be another agent other than God that starts his existence, right? Yeah. And it's not necessarily the fact that God is eternal that I have a trouble grasping. It's more of eternity in general, that there is nothing finite about time, that there is life after this that is eternity, and grasping the eternity of it is the difficult part. I understand that God is eternal, always is, always was. There is no beginning and end to him, uh, although that is hard to understand as well. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think the alternative is, is that this is all eternal. So once we've kind of established that that's not the case, and there has to be some agent to put this in the, into existence, then it's really our only other alternative. <coughs> so there's, you know, of course, we believe this from what's been written from before we kind of scientifically had that conclusion. But it's, um, yeah, it's, 
it's a tough question for me. It is. It's tough for me to think about time that existed before things existed and that yeah. God was just sort of like chilling. I don't think time exists for God at all in the same way that we think of time. We think of time as a straight line with a beginning and an end, and we've kind of made that concept ourselves because we grow and we die, and God does not. I wasn't in here before, so you might. Did you go over that God is simple? Simple? No, it actually began with just God existed. Okay. Is God simple? Is it sinful? Simple. 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 Oh. Um, I mean, when I when I've like listened to apologists on that, they'd say he's extremely simple um, Mm -hmm. in terms of of an entity, Mm -hmm. you know. But we would think, of course, like I think the natural answer is he's complex. Mm -hmm. But in fact, he's very simple from like an abstract sense. Mm -hmm. Um, He has capacity for the complex, but Mm -hmm. is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I think one the so. Divine simplicity is this idea that God is not made of parts, right? That there's no, like you said earlier, God's not made of matter or uh, there's no composition in God. God is, is right? Um, and part of the reason why you have that teaching of divine simplicity and all the divine attributes is to kind of get at this distinction you were hammering throughout the whole class, which is we're trying to make a distinction between finite and infinite. Right, and so at the end of the day, what simplicity basically just says is that God's not made of parts; God is one. And the trend you can—that doesn't mean the trend is not necessary. Whatever, it just all of it is and is to try to help us get this further dis- distinction of God's transcendence and God's um, that God is wholly other than us. Right. That's why this is, this conversation is so important. Yeah, the, the Bible Project actually explains it as in, we're viewing things on a 2D plane. Mm-hmm. We are in 2D, yet God is three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And so as he spins in our 2D plane, we see different attributes and facets of him, yet we are never fully able to understand mm-hmm. the entireness of God because we can't see it all at once. Our minds can't comprehend that. And so he's, he's spinning on this 3D plane, or on our 2D plane, and we can see those attributes as he touches us but we're unable to fully understand it all. That was really interesting. Uh, I think we can email that, email that video out or okay. put it in the Facebook group. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great video. It's about eight minutes long. But it, it does a great job of explaining these qualities and attributes and how he can be all of these things at once. Uh, I think that God is unity at ending on that is a very important thing, that he is all of these attributes at all times. Not one is more important than the other. Um, and I'm sure that there are others as well, but this was uh, the author's uh, intent was to go through Scripture and see what God has said about himself through Scripture. Uh, and this all builds on what Kyle discussed last week and what is the Bible and how do we know it's authoritative. And uh, it's all built on that. You have to first believe that the Scripture is God-breathed and it is authoritative so that you can understand what he's saying about himself and know that it's true. I, I always go back... Uh, going back to what Kyle and uh, Michael were saying about God as being simple, He is. He is simple, but we, as humans, we think it's more complex. We think it's difficult. We think that He's doing something that is far beyond what we think. Um, but it's plain, it's simple that God is making things simple. Yeah, and going back to the 
uh, you were saying about God being, we should be imitators of God. Uh, I look back, uh, I look back in as my, uh, <laughs> I'm an uncle of 15 nieces and nephews, uh, a lot. Uh, my parents have a lot of grandkids. And so I, I look back whenever they came come to visit us here or we go up to Ohio um, and I can see just how when they go and play on the playground at, by their house or whatever, they're free. They don't have a, they just have an imagination and they're just going doing whatever. And um, I see if that is, I guess what, I, I don't know how to word this or anything, but if it's, if, as I'm looking at all around me and seeing my nieces and nephews go play and whatnot, do whatever they want to do, it makes me feel like they are, they actually are imitators of God. I can, I can see it because of how simple and how free they are. They don't have to worry about all the stuff that we adults have to worry about. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that brings me joy to see how simple God is. That's how I know that God is simple is when I look at the people around me, and my nieces and nephews. And so it's very, I don't know. I don't know how good that was <laughs> no, a, a lot of those childlike qualities like we would we would say that children are inherently good those are things that are qualities that god has given them i was actually surprised when going through uh, how many of these qualities and attributes of god we were directly told we should be mimicking in our lives like striving for perfection as god is perfect holiness as god is holy uh truthful as god is true and knowing his truth um and then I was also surprised, well, maybe not necessarily surprised, but I think we as people take things like God's wrath, and we're nowhere in Scripture told that we are to enact God's wrath. God's wrath is His alone, in fact, we're told in Scripture, yet I feel a lot of times we would like to enact God's wrath. Um, God's justice is His alone, and He is the judge of the world, and, and until Revelation uh, when the end times come, we are not the judges of the world. God is the ultimate judge of the world, yet we take that on ourselves as well. So we have taken some of God's attributes and we try and, and mimic those, even though we were not told to mimic those. And the ones that we are told to mimic sometimes get thrown aside by they're too hard. Well, nobody can be perfect and well, nobody can be holy like God is holy. And that's true, but we're still told to imitate it. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. All right. Any other comments? No, it's time to go get the kids. Time to get the kids.